Hey, folks, you're listening to a bonus episode of Season 3 of How to Win a Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run, but how to win. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome, and thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of How to Win a Campaign. So make sure to check out the rest of our special series if you haven't already. We got a lot in store for you today. Absolutely. So today we're talking all things midterm elections. So midterm elections have historically proven pretty challenging for the party that is sitting in the White House, especially if the approval ratings are low, which they currently are. So if you are running this year or plan to run any kind of campaign in the 2022 midterms elections, it's really important to be prepared and think ahead. When you look historically at trends, there are a variety of different factors that can contribute to why the swing sort of happens in the other directions. It could be district maps. It could be low party approval, inflation, the economy, Supreme Court rulings, so many things. But we're going to dive into each of those in this episode. So we're going to try and set some light and hopefully some potential solutions on how you can prepare. So, Joe, first and foremost, can you just briefly talk about what midterm election trends are? Midterm election trends are pretty bad for the party in power, that usually in House races, and we're talking about the House of Representatives federally, that there is a loss of somewhere between 30 to 60 seats in Congress for the party in power. That can mean switching chambers. It can mean also all sorts of havoc on the state level as well, losing chambers. Usually it is bad to be in power during midterms. And the why behind that is there's often some buyer's remorse. There's economic factors that happen during midterms. We have that going on this year. And people, they are usually disaffected with it by two years in. Absolutely. Could you talk a little bit historically of who that has happened to and that folks may sort of know or have recently seen? It happens to everyone. It happened to Trump during the midterms. We saw it happen to Obama during the midterms. We saw it going back in the day with Bush and Clinton. And there are the outliers where the midterm loss has been super low. But most of the time, you're talking about 30 to 60 seats. And you can already see it as far as some little sort of tea leaves that are out there. Republican party registration is up across the country. There are more Republicans voting in Republican primaries than are Democrats voting in Democratic primaries. So you see the activism on the Republican side. Now, there are some extenuating factors this year, both good and bad, (laughs) that are going to also shake things up. We're going to dig in and talk about that. What I like folks to think about when you think about elections is to think about the historical perspective behind the elections. Sometimes there are trends. You can buck the trends a little bit, but you need to understand the trends. Again, when we talked about the Clinton and the Trump election, historically, it was very hard for a party in power to get a third term in the presidency. And people were surprised and shocked that Trump won. But historically, that was the trend. 
Now we're looking at 30 to 60 plus losses in the house. That is the historic trend. And our goal as a podcast and what we do with the blog and the work we do in the progressive community is to let folks know and have a conversation so people can mitigate and both make the losses less and then figure out what are things that you can do to win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and just in general, right? Like people who vote, in midterms versus presidential elections, right, there are a lot more voters who only turn out to vote for president. And the drop off in midterm elections is also a consideration you need to make in terms of, right, like how many votes you're going to need and who those voters are who turn out in midterm elections, right? It's a factor nonetheless. But can you talk a little bit more about the court rulings, right? We've just had some major court rulings that have come down. My theme today, we can say boo and it's okay. We are recording this a week or so after the anti-Roe ruling came down. I think it's a horrible thing. I think I Agreed. can speak from you, Martin. Would you say it's a horrible thing? We think it's this, a terrible this- thing. But talk to us about how it may impact these midterm elections, particularly folks who are running campaigns in them. So- First, let's talk about there are the big races on the ballot this year are both House races and the U.S. Senate. Of the in-play U.S. Senate races, all of them were states in which Biden won. So what's interesting about that is those are states where a Democrat actually has a real chance to win and there is a large population of voters like suburban women in those states that could make a huge difference in the outcome in these elections. You can talk about message and persuasion in these races, but again, I think the key thing you touched on just a couple minutes ago was turnout. And I think in midterm elections, turnout is the thing. So who's going to actually vote in these elections? Well, I think Prior to these rulings, you saw Republican registration ticking up. You saw more engagement of Republicans. Now that you have this ruling, which folks had warned about for years, but now it is here, you're going to see more activism and more turnout. Will it be enough? That will be the question that we all are going to be asking ourselves. And then we, as people who are in the turnout business, We'll be working with groups and organizations to make sure that voters turn out. That is really important. And we will see on the Senate side, one, I think those races are in play and there are populations, I think lots of folks are affected by these rulings, but there are specific populations that could be turned out based on these rulings. And then in these House races where you have very tight, suburban house races, there are a few of those that I think that turnout will make the difference as well. And you mentioned sort of messaging earlier, and it's so funny because I think candidates always go in being like, oh, I know what I'm running for, and so I'm just going to message on what my office does. And really, you have to message towards like what's going to be front of mind for voters, whether it's the Supreme Court ruling, right, whether it's this ongoing pandemic, even if the office you're running for has nothing to do or no power over changes that could potentially impact these things, right? Voters are going to be thinking about those. Another one being the economy, inflation, and gas prices. I cannot believe I live in Los Angeles. And I went the other day and it was almost $8 a gallon. I just went and parked my car and decided to take the bus home. It's wild. People are 
enraged by these gas prices. How are those going to impact the elections and, and messaging that the campaign should be thinking about, Joe? The economy is impacting everything. We've written a ton about this. We've written a lot about supply chain and just how it's going to affect the cost of campaigns. And that is all economically driven and it's going to be huge. I will tell you that I think the economy being a party in power is going to hurt Democrats. This is what it's going to be. I think gas prices, inflation are a negative message for Democrats, even though we can argue it shouldn't be the case. It is. And then on the other side, you have the impending social issues and this rise in conservatism on social issues, which is also going to affect turnout on our side. These are the two things that we have to look at and weigh. I think we also have to figure out how Democratic candidates can engage in the economy without having it be seen as it's their fault because it's the president in power and therefore it's Joe Biden's fault that the economy is this way, which again, I don't believe, but that is what people are going to say. And it's the message that they're pushing. I will say that I was also driving in a more conservative area of California and stopped to get gas. And somebody had gone out of their way to print these little stickers. And it's Joe Biden pointing his finger and it says, I did this. They put it on the gas pump where the cost per gallon is. It says, I did this. It was a sticker of Joe Biden. Whether it's true or not, it's the narrative people are understanding and seeing. That is the narrative. And again, I think there's a narrative on the other end, which is the row ruling January 6th. And then again, where the Republican spending has been going and that there were all sorts of issues that Trump created that put us in this place anyway. But we're a political podcast, not an economic podcast, but we could dig into that another time. I think the other piece that I want to get to around this as well is where you talked a little bit about this, and I think it's super important, is the idea that there is no local message anymore. And we just updated a blog post on media consolidation that we'll be hopefully publishing soon or around the time that this podcast goes out. Stay tuned for it. We will see. But the point being with media consolidation is that there is a extreme lack of ability now with the lack of local newspapers, local media, for anyone to have a local message at all. So local news is still national news now because it's all consolidated. The local newspaper news is national news. So where it used to be that your voter was getting a much more local message about what's going on in my hometown, you're not getting that anymore. The only place you're getting that is on Twitter, and that is not news. All of this creates these situations that impact these midterm elections, and it makes it hard. It does. And staying on that trend, looking at history and using your logical mind, right? If the trend is that we are going to lose those seats in the House, knowing that we have a razor thin margin in the United States Senate, do we lose that too? So- this is where it gets very interesting. I think that there is a path to still actually lose the House and win the Senate. We can see that where it is easier to have a statewide message than a local message. 
That is something that comes into play a little bit, that these Senate races have more of a pulpit to have more of a conversation. So that will be interesting. Again, the margins in these races, being that these are states that Biden won, being that we do have really amazing Senate candidates and that there are engaged turnout operations in these states, all of those things make it possible that you could have Senate races that win and House races that lose or House races that get closer because there's a strong turnout operation in statewide. Often people will say that when we're doing these forecasting blogs as well as podcasts that I'm a little bit negative. I don't mean to be. I consider myself a realist. I just want to make sure that we are letting people know and getting people ahead of it. Agreed. We just want to make sure you're prepared. So that is a lot of contributing factors, but don't panic. After the break, we're going to discuss what you could potentially do to prepare for some of these issues and have some potential solutions for you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we're back. So hopefully that overview of the current midterm election trends was helpful for you. But I am sure now you are thinking... How do I prepare for this? In the face of all of these predicted potential losses, what can the 2022 midterm candidates do to help secure a seat if they're really running for office? Joe, talk to us about what some of these candidates can do. Well, first thing is you can read the full blog post that goes into a lot more detail than we are able to get into in this podcast. So it's about 2,000 words on midterm elections. Read it, but it's at the blog, thecampaignworkshop.com. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the blog. We have lots of information on a weekly basis we put out there. So do that, but look at the blog. But I'm going to go into this. I think, Martine, this is kind of the speed round part of this podcast, so feel free, but I'm just going to go through some top lines about what you need to do. So first is increase outreach, right? Don't now wait until like September to start doing outreach. Do it now. Engage, engage, engage as much as you can. Build your coalition. Talk to people. Increase your universe. Don't think that somebody is a quote unquote base voter, therefore they're automatically going to vote with me. Economic impact might decrease their turnout or make them vote the other way because they're unhappy with the economy. So have a bigger universe of people that you're talking to than you may normally talk to. And that means if you're a Democratic candidate, you want to talk to Democrats as well as independents and Republicans. And what that means is you're going to have to raise more money. These are going to be bigger races. You're going to have to spend more. You're going to have to engage and talk to people. So do all those things. One of the things that you should not be doing is do not under target. One of the big mistakes that I think folks have made, and I've seen this over the last decade, is thinking that targeting itself is a strategy. It's not. It's a tactic, right? And so if you are under-targeting and targeting too few voters, you might feel like you're sending out a lot of mail or doing digital ads or, frankly, even knocking on doors, but you might be missing too many houses. So really think about who you're talking to, make that audience bigger than you may think, and engage, engage, engage. I know you may be thinking, but Joe, I might be engaging my opponents too, 
I don't think that's likely. I think you've really got to make sure that you're engaging the people that you need to talk to. And especially Democrats and independents need to hear from you because this is about turnout. And especially if you're a down ballot race, they might just go in, vote for U.S. Senate, vote for House and skip your race altogether. You have to give them a reason to vote for you. So engage, engage, engage. Don't under target. Raise money and create a real contrast. Know that you have to show people why you and not the opponent and why should they vote and not stay home. So those are really important things. Absolutely right. I think in any election, you're going back to the basics. You have to meet voters where they are. You have to figure out how many votes it's going to take for you to win. And this time it's likely going to be more. And you have to have a message that resonates. And to that last, to put a finer point, you have to give them a reason to care about your election, particularly if you're down ballot. They're going to hear about the U.S. House candidate. They're going to hear about the U.S. Senate candidate. They're likely not going to hear a lot about your race unless it comes from your campaign. So you have to do that ground game. You have to do that work. And as Joe Fold always says, you got to think about time, money, and people. The more time you have now and the sooner you start, You can use less people to talk to more voters. You could use less money to communicate to more voters. The earlier you start, the better. And I would say again, have a clear message. This is something you can work on now. We have lots of resources at thecampaignworkshop.com where there is message boxes and other exercises you can do to have a better and more contrastive message. Do that. Really do your work and making sure your message is clear. That will help you at the end. Don't have a message or a theme that is a word salad, which a bunch of different words. Make sure it's clear and concise and compelling and contrast right? This is, again, the seven C's also up on the blog. I didn't invent that. That's Joel Bradshaw and Peter Fenn that did, but we write a lot about it. So check it out there on the blog. So finally, Joe, if you could dwindle it down, what is the most important takeaway for candidates in the 2022 midterm elections? To be prepared and get your butt in gear. Don't wait right? This is going to be a very hard election. People that are not planning and are not preparing, they are going to lose. You have a chance to win if you get ahead of stuff and really get going. There's so many factors. There's the economy, there's supply chain, there's the road decisions, and there is external factors like we talked about, which is consolidation of media and other things. All of these things can hurt. The only thing that really can help is you deciding a path to be proactive and engaging and run a campaign that does that, right? Again, some of these things are out of your control, but control what you can and get on it now. Absolutely. Well, hopefully that has prepared you somewhat if you are running for office this year. But that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any specific questions or comments about the midterm elections or how we can help you out, always feel free to contact us using the social media handles or the email address in the show description. Be sure to like, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Joe Fold and Martin Diego Garcia breaking down how to win a campaign. How to Win a Campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Dina Castillo, Amanda Ellis, Perobi Saha, and Anna Cruxen. Music by Danielle Pinto. Audio editing by Christopher Lang. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.